Well, welcome. I'm glad you guys could join us today. Go ahead and open up your Bibles. If you don't have one, raise your hand. We got some people passing them around, and we want you to have God's Word read along with us. If you don't own your Bible, you can keep that as a gift from the Lord. We want you to have that so you can read it every day. And once you have it, turn to Acts 16. We're going to continue our verse-by-verse study through the book of Acts. And as you guys are turning there, as I typically do, I just want to give you some, some application on uh, what's, what we're going to be talking about today. Try to make it relatable to you. So let me ask you a question. Have you guys ever experienced being disappointed in life by not getting recognition or affirmation or maybe even a reward that you thought you deserved or had earned or merited for something that you've done in life, something you've done for somebody. And this, yeah, exactly. It, it's like, this is something that, it's a rhetorical question. The answer is yes, of course, but I want you guys to think about this because in some way or another, this applies into all areas of our life. It's not like just talking about the workplace where, of course, we want recognition for things we do well, but even as a husband or a mother, you know, I, I think we're prone to wanting recognition for, for doing a good job, right? Or maybe we want to see certain results. You know, we put effort into things because you want things to turn out good. You want to see good results, okay? And when those results don't happen or you don't get that recognition or, or that affirmation, it can lead to disappointment. And I, I can relate to this, like in my 15-year career of, of construction engineering or construction management before I became a lead pastor here, overall, I would say most of the management I worked for, and, and, and maybe you fall in this category, and I'm not knocking you for it, this is kind of our tendency, but most of the management I worked for, they would never say anything to you if you didn't do something wrong. In essence, the expectation was that you did a good job, and if you were doing a good job, there's no need to talk to you. Only if something needed to be corrected was the only time you get talked at, right? And that wasn't like, again, that, that wasn't like, it wasn't in any way not acknowledging the good things you were doing. It's just that there was no need to, you know, spend time on those people. Those people are doing good jobs, so we don't need to talk to those people. How many of you guys have experienced that? Maybe you kind of fall into that category. And again, I'm not saying that to condemn you. That's just kind of our nature. And then personally in my life, I'm somebody that um, desires personal affirmation from people to, in a sense, feel like I'm doing a good job. And this has caused issues over the period of uh, my marriage with my wife because that is not something she's naturally prone to do. And that in no way means that she doesn't appreciate me or she doesn't think I'm doing a good job, but me looking for that personal affirmation and saying, oh, you're doing a good job with the kids or you're doing a good job in this with the husband and not receiving that because he naturally doesn't do it has created problems. Like in our communication where we've had to learn these things where, you know, I've had to learn to show grace and that this is not something natural for her. It's hard for her to do this and for her to understand that this is something I'm seeking to, you know, in a sense, validate the things that, you know, I'm doing for her or for the kids or whatnot. All right. And, um, and, and looking for a specific response from people in both those areas of my life, if I'm being honest, has caused dissatisfaction or discouragement at times because I wasn't receiving what I thought 
I deserve, which at certain times, if I'm being honest, has caused negative feelings towards those people that I didn't think I was getting what I deserved from. And that has resulted, I'm not saying those feelings are right, they're wrong, but it's resulted in an inability to continue to be who God's called me to be to those people in their lives, and hence the problem. Or focusing on results. You know, that's something I can be prone to do, doing, especially in ministry. It's like you, you invest with this intent of seeing blessing in people's lives, and if people don't respond the way you want, or, you know, you're planning something and not that many people show up, you can just be results-driven, and, and when that doesn't happen, you get disappointed, you get discouraged. You start to like feel like you want to throw in the towel and stuff, right? So you focus on these external things. And what I'm getting at is that in the kingdom of God, we're not supposed to focus on any of that stuff. We're not supposed to focus. We're not doing things for the sake of people. You are doing things because you want to see people blessed, but that's not what God says to focus on. He's like, you're doing it for him, right? He's given you tangible things to look forward to, rewards, and 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 promises and that's where our focus is to be so that we don't get discouraged so we don't get disappointed so that we're inevitably able to focus on him and what his will is in our lives as we've been looking at in the book of acts recently just the a guy like paul who's always in appearance not perfect but always in appearance sensitive to the lord's leading wanting to follow the lord just being ready for whatever the lord had in his life And the result of that, or the reason for that, was because his focus was ultimately a lot of the times in the right place. And so um, that's what we're going to talk about today. This idea of living in this life, but living for the next life. Because like Paul, that is what's going to keep your focus in the right place and, and, and allow you to be led by the Lord in your life and surrender to his will and not becoming discouraged and not wanting to quit. And we see a great example uh, in this next chapter of Paul continuing to do that. And this is something that, as I was laying out those questions in the beginning, should be applicable to every single one of us because we're all prone to our focus getting off on the wrong things or doing things for the wrong reasons. Amen? All right. So just to give you some background before we go into this next section of Scripture, where we were last week was Paul and Barnabas going their separate ways Remember, they had a disagreement on who they should bring to serve with them in ministry as they want to go back to the churches that they they visited in their first missionary journey and they want to go to encourage them. So they split up in the separate ways and they're going different directions and they're taking different people with them. And that's where we left off in Acts 15. We're going to be in Acts 16. So let me pray one more time for the word and then we'll start going through it. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again, Lord, just help us not be distracted. Help us be giving you our undivided attention. Lord, whatever it is we could possibly be thinking and worry about, the, the benefit we have of knowing you is that you really have it under control. We don't have to think and worry about it. And we know that you would not miss what, want us to miss what you have to say to us through your word. As we talked about last week, your word's alive. It's active. It's constantly, you're constantly wanting to work through it in us and speak to us. So we don't want to miss out because anything you have to say is very important and we know it's for our benefit. So we want to receive it all. And then as we talked about last week, not fool ourselves into thinking that we're automatically doers of it just because we agree with it, but receive it in such a way that we can leave this place and allow your Holy Spirit to implement it in our lives so we can experience that 
blessing, that happiness you intend for those who hear and obey your word. So, Lord, speak to each person here wherever they are, however they need to hear this, this, this important thing. Just making sure our focus is in the right place, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So starting in verse 1, it says, Paul came also to Derby into Lystra. So just a, a refresher. If you guys have been tracking through the book of Acts with us, I see some new people, so you might not have read through this before. But Derby, back in Acts 14, was Paul had gone through there with Barnabas on his original missionary journey. And he had preached the gospel there, and many people got saved. He had a lot of great success there. And then moving on to Lystra, not so much there. If you remember, first, God did an awesome miracle, healed a layman in Acts 14, and everyone mistakenly starts worshiping them as pagan gods. And they're like, no, 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 don't worship us. You know, it's like worship God. And what happens as a result of that is a bunch of people end up stoning Paul and trying to kill him, all right? So it, it took some trust. I think you'd agree for him to actually go back to this place where he didn't have a lot of like ministry success or he didn't have the results he obviously hoped for the response. Basically, he got off to a really rocky start with the people there. And uh, you guys, is that daylight savings time or come on, come with me. All right. But he's going back there. All right. And so it says here, a disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer. But his father was a Greek or a Gentile, or the idea is most likely not a believer. So his mom was Jewish, his dad was Greek, and he was well spoken of by the brothers of Lystra and Iconium. So Paul's efforts in preaching the gospel in Lystra didn't go without fruit, according to these verses. As mentioned here, at least a few people that basically believed in Jesus, got saved, and were growing in their faith in him. And one of them should sound very familiar to, to you, and that would be Timothy, right? Timothy, who goes on to become a disciple of Paul, a pastor, somebody he looked at as his son in the faith, that he actually wrote the letters of First and Second Timothy to. All right? So he's here. And it's a good reminder to us, practically, that we don't always know the full extent of what God is doing through your faithfulness to serve him in your life, all right? Because the reaction Paul got from the people in Lystra during his first trip there was anything but favorable. I don't think any one of us would want to preach the gospel with wanting the people to react in such a way that they try to kill us. Would you agree? <laughs> That's nothing that we want to bring on ourselves, all right? And by all accounts, the best we can tell by the what Scripture says, there wasn't much visible fruit that he could see during his first trip. But coming back five years later, and what he sees is there's believers here that have believed in Jesus. They're growing. There's a church, if you will, um, that came as a result of his initial efforts going there, even though he couldn't have seen that. And so it's a good reminder for us that we never, ever, and this is something we're all prone to do too, so listen to what I'm saying. Never, ever lack, or let a lack of visible fruit in your efforts to serve the Lord be something that discourages you from continuing to be faithful to the Lord in your life, okay? Because again, you do not know the extent of what's happening. We can't let visible results, and you never see Jesus teach that. Never say, oh, focus on the results, and if you see a lot of good stuff, then keep going. That's not what he says, all right? We walk by faith, not by sight. We walk 
or we live according to what his promises are in his word. And just to remind you, Paul had learned this lessons through this instant and many others, because he's the one that tells us in First Corinthians fifteen fifty eight. Listen up, Christians. So my dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Some of your translations say in vain. So is there anything that you do with the right motives to glorify God in love of other people, as he tells us to, that is ever not going to return some type of fruit? Nothing. Now, certainly it feels that way sometimes, but that feeling is wrong. And we've got to combat that feeling with the truth of God's word. The enemy would want you to feel that because he'd want you to quit. But God tells you this in his word so you don't ever quit. So he knows that nothing you're ever doing for me is useless. It's always going to result in something good for that person and for you. I'm working whether you see it or not. He goes on to say in Galatians 6, 9 through 10. So let's not get tired of doing what is good. Don't we feel that way sometimes? Especially when we don't see results. Especially when people don't react the way we want. We feel like tired. Do, am I, anything I'm doing, is it mattering? Should I keep going? And he says, don't, don't feel that way. At just the right time, we will reap a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. Therefore, whenever we have the opportunity, we should do good to everyone, especially to those in the family of faith or especially to those that are believers. I love that. And I love how he compares it to a harvest because any of you guys that have fruit trees or you plant gardens, you know that when you plant that seed, you're not going to get something you can eat that very next day. It's got to be watered. It's got to be tended to. It needs sunlight. It needs to grow. And then fruit is produced eventually. But it takes time. And what he reminds us is, is at the right time, there will be a harvest of blessing if we don't give up. We got to keep going, right? And because of this, because we know nothing we do is in vain, because we know there'll be fruit from it, we keep going. We don't ever stop. Amen? And those are promises. Again, these are promises that we stand on when we feel like quitting, when we feel like we're not making a difference, all right? We don't focus again on what we see. We, in faith, believe these things, and we stay faithful to God. Amen? All right. It says in verse 3, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Paul sees something in Timothy's faith, presses him, it impresses him enough that he's like, hey, I'm going to bring this guy along with me. You know, I think I have something to pour into this guy that can help him in following Jesus. And so it's an older, mature believer seeing a younger believer and wanting to invest and disciple them. And it's a great example for us to follow. Because let me remind you guys, if you guys don't really know this, there is such joy in God using you in other people's lives for their benefit. All right. Let me ask you something. Isn't that the reason why you invest so much time in your kids, parents? Isn't it? I mean, do you invest that time because you know it's going to be a waste? Or do you invest that time with the intent of bad things for them? No. Out of your great love for them, you invest all this time in taking care of them and in, in teaching them what's right and what's wrong and in, in, in teaching them practical skills that you know are going to be of benefit in their life because you know that you're going to be happy and blessed in seeing your children happy and blessed, right? 
And so in the same way as a believer, as a follower of Jesus, we should want out of loving one another the best thing in each other's lives. And that drives us to want to practically help people follow Jesus the way we've learned in his word, the way he's taught us over time, so that they can be blessed and happy, which is going to make us happy and blessed. Amen? We want to see the best for each other. That's discipling 101. I know there's a million books on it, and it, it, it can be really sound complicating, but that's it. That's what should drive us. Love. It's out of love and wanting to see God's grace and in, in his blessing in people's lives. Amen? That's discipling. And it says here that Paul circumcised Timothy for the sake of the Jews, knowing that his father was Greek or Gentile. Now, if you guys have been following us in Acts 15, you should completely understand, based on the, the argument that Paul and Barnabas had with the Judaizers and the big discussion they went to have with the church leadership at Jerusalem, that he in no way is having him circumcised for salvation reasons or some legalistic reason, all right? That's not why he's doing this. But Paul, knowing that since Timothy's mom was Jewish, even though his dad was a Gentile, his mom was Jewish, and under Jewish custom or Jewish law, he would have been considered, Timothy would have been considered a Jew. And so one of Paul's main ministries was going to preach to people in the synagogues, right? He wanted to reach the Jewish people. And he knew that automatically that would be a stumbling block if this Jewish young man was uncircumcised. Because they basically see him as kind of an apostate Jew. Like you're somebody that's like disgracing your faith or disgracing your heritage. And so to remove that stumbling block so that they could effectively preach to people. Paul handles the situation. He cuts all the loose ends. And basically um, make sure that, you know, they can effectively minister to people, the Jewish people. So there's nothing that's going to get in the way of that, okay? And so that's why he's doing that. And we actually see a completely opposite example in Galatians 2, if you guys are familiar with it, where the Judaizers, the people that were coming saying that, yes, you believe in Jesus, but you also have to follow the law. You have to be circumcised. They come in and there's a guy named Titus, a new believer, and he's a Gentile. And they're like, this guy needs to be circumcised. And Paul's like, no, he doesn't. He's a Gentile. Nobody's going to expect that of him, you know. And so it's the opposite situation. All right. So. It goes on in verse 4 and it says, As they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in their in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. Now, I like this because... Uh, Paul has this letter, if you remember, the church leadership of Jerusalem gave him a letter to take these Gentile Jewish mixed churches that basically said, you guys, you're not under the law. You don't have to be circumcised. You just need to place your faith in Jesus. It's by God's grace that you're saved through faith in Jesus, faith in Jesus alone. And so that's what this letter says, along with some practical living advice that would help them not cause Jews to stumble. And I want you to note that the receiving of this good news of God's grace or basically these believers being taught a greater understanding that you're saved by grace and grace alone. It's all by God's grace. That it says they became more confident in God or it produced more faith in them. As it says in verse 5 that the church churches were strengthened in what? 
the faith, right? It says they were strengthened in the faith as a result of hearing this good news of grace. And that led to them preaching the gospel more effectively, as verse 5 also says, that people were getting saved at an increasing rate. And this is an important thing to understand because here's the thing. Confidence in yourself is inevitably always going to lead to us feeling insufficient to do anything for God and result in us being timid in sharing Jesus with other people or doing any ministry that God calls you to, all right? Whereas confidence in the grace of God will lead to God's power and his boldness operating through you in your life, all right? Confidence in self will lead to feeling insufficient and timid. Confidence in the grace of God will lead to God's power and boldness being displayed in your life. Actually, Paul exhorts Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.1. He says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Not by your own efforts, not by your supernatural ability to teach God's word. By the grace that you have through your relationship in Jesus. I remember the first year I became pastor, you know, there was a time where I was scared to death come, to come up here and teach God's word. And it's not that I'm still not reverent towards that, but I was just freaked out because as I talked about in the beginning, my focus was all on meeting people's expectations. What are people going to think? I got to make them happy. I got to entertain them. I got to wow them. I knew God's word was the reason for changing people's lives, but there was all this pressure I put on myself. And through that first year, I remember people saying, well, you look like you're getting more comfortable up there. Is it just because you're getting more practice or is it because like you're, you're just learning how to do it more efficiently or you're, 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 you know, practice makes perfect. And I'm like, no, not at all. Because still to this day, there's not a single time I get up here and teach where I don't feel anything other than at the end of it, like that was the worst ever. Like I did not say anything clearly. And, and, and yet every time, despite the fact that I feel that way, I would hear testimonies from people of God speaking to them. So whereas his word tells us that, that his word's not going to return void, it's going to accomplish the purpose, there's power, it's active and living, I had to learn that practically through seeing that, as we so often have to do in our lives. We have to live with Jesus following him to learn these truths. And I just learned over time that, man, despite how deficient I am, God is going to get his glory. If his word is preached, he is going to use it to minister to people. And so my confidence wasn't in myself. It was in the grace of God. And that is what, you know, allows me to speak in his boldness because I just know that he is going to honor his word. And it's like that with anything you do with the Lord in your life. The more you understand the grace of God, the more you understand it's by God's grace that he's going to be able to do something through you. And it's not because of you, the more you're going to be able to be used by him. Amen? And you see this church here. And this is a good thing to remember too because churches that are strong in faith, despite what popular opinion would say, not man-made programs or, you know, really charismatic speakers or, you know, good good kids ministry, whatever. Those things can have their place, but it's churches that are strong in faith that will naturally increase in numbers just as we see here because the evidence of God through his grace in his people will be very apparent to everyone else. 
And here's the thing. We're not trying to sell anything but Jesus. God is the most attractive thing anyone could ever see. And if his grace is apparent in your life, people will see him. They'll want to know him. Amen? And that's what you see in this church. And it says in verse 6, And they went through the region of Phrygia in Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. Now, this isn't Asia as in like we think of Asia, like China and stuff. This is like Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey, all right? And then it goes on to say in verse 7, And when they had come up to uh, Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. Now, we don't know exactly how the Holy Spirit was telling them not to go and do these things that they were trying to do, okay? And maybe it was like through a word of prophecy, maybe through the Holy Spirit just kind of minist- like speaking to them directly, like, don't do this. Maybe it was through like a circumstance. Some think that Paul came down with an infirmity that he speaks of in Galatians 4, 13 through 15 here that affected his eyesight because in a few verses later, we're going to see that Dr. Luke comes on the scene, the writer of Acts. And so they think that, well, he must have gotten sick. That's why Luke comes on the scene here. Um, I can think of a reason in my life or a big thing in my life that where the Lord changed my course of it because of a, uh, an infirmity that really wasn't there. But my medical record said it was there. I was in the Air Force ROTC in college. That was the reason why I was going to Oregon State initially because I wanted to be a pilot in the Air Force. And uh, basically the my physical said I had asthma or my medical record said I had asthma even though I didn't. And they flunked me. They wouldn't allow me into the Air Force. Now, at that time, it was a huge disappointment. But it was a closed door from the Lord because he had totally different plans for me in hindsight. So God can use things like that. Again, there's many different ways he can kind of lead us. Um, But however the Lord stopped them, they got the message. And it says in verse 8, so passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas. Now, again, this isn't the first place Paul would have chosen. It's actually the third place he's tried to go. But Paul's just laying aside what he thinks best. He's not fighting it or trying to force open a door. And he's letting God lead him. And then in verse 9 it says, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now this would have been located west of where Paul and his team were currently at and where they had been. This was basically across the Aegean Sea um in in going from the continent of asia to the continent of europe which best to our knowledge had not been reached at all by the gospel yet all right so god's actually leading him in a completely different direction and it says in verse 10 when paul had seen the vision immediately we and this is where people think luke the author of acts joins because he's referring to himself there in the first person we sought to go on into macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. I like that conclusion because, you know, notice this vision he has, this person saying, come over and help us. And if you probably have noticed in your life, there's a lot of people that need help in this world, right? Needs can seem overwhelming. And whereas we very much should practically, in Jesus' name, help people, the greatest way you can help them is doing it in the name of Jesus Christ and being able to explain to them the good news. Amen? So many of the problems of this world are sin problems. Basically, they're a result of sin. And so when you're addressing kind of the the practical needs, you're kind of just addressing the symptoms. And so if you do that, it might temporarily help people, but if you never address the reason for the problem... 
then you're not really helping them long term. And so anything that we do in practically meeting people's needs, we always want to come to that same conclusion that we want to do it with that intent of sharing Jesus with them. Amen? All right. And so that's what they do here. And it says, um, or in, in what's clear about this in verses 6 through 10, if you've been kind of following along and with the previous chapter, is that God was leading them through all of this. All right. And here you see some different ways. We went through six ways God leads last week. Now we see a different way where he's closing and opening doors. And how many guys have experienced that in your life where God's closed a door? Maybe something that you really wanted really bad or you felt like at one point it was God doing it. But he just closed the door firmly and that's the way he led you in your life. I How many of you guys pray for closed doors sometimes? I've learned the longer I follow Jesus, especially for the things that are kind of big deals. Like, I don't know if I really want to go through this door, Lord. Like one of the prayer requests I do is like specifically, Lord, close this door if this is not from you. Because I know that my flesh can be deceived and I don't want to take the chance that I'm making this happen. So close this door. And so they have closed doors. And here's the thing I want to remind you. Just because those doors were closed doesn't mean that they were bad things that Paul wanted to do. What was his heart in everywhere he went to tell people about Jesus, right? Is that a bad thing? Does God not want anyone to know about Jesus? That's not a trick question. All right. God's desire is that none shall perish and also come to repentance, right? So he wants everyone to be saved. So God wants everyone to hear the gospel. When he, everyone's going to hear the gospel when Jesus comes back. That's what we're waiting for. But having said that, there's a timing thing. And God has specific works for each of us, right? So it wasn't that he was wrong in his heart. It was right. It's just God's like, this isn't for you. I've got something else. I'll take care of them with somebody else, all right? And so we see God direct Paul another way in that he gives him a specific vision vision to lead him in a specific direction um, at a specific time. And, and again, that those closed doors and the fact that he had to kind of conclude where the Lord was leading him, as it says in verse 10, those are all signs that he wasn't completely 100% sure always what God wanted him to do. And that should encourage you. Because how many of you in here are 100% sure that knowing what God wants you to do at all times in your life? I'd say the majority of my life, I'm not sure what God wants me to do. I'm constantly seeking, but I'm always kind of second guessing or doubting or whatnot. And guess what? The the super holy Apostle Paul, he's, he, he struggled with that same thing, okay? But he gives us a good example of what it looks like to practically follow Jesus in our life when we are figuring those things out. Because did you ever sit him and see him sit and just do nothing? No. Ever heard the term, it's really hard to steer a parked car? It is, right? Practically, it's the same when you walk with Jesus. And what you see with Paul is he's always moving forward. He's being faithful where he's at, and he's trying to open doors and, and allowing God to close or open them, not trying to force anything open, but, oh, it's a closed door. I'll just try this. Closed door. Oh, it, here's an open door, and Lord's making it clear I'm supposed to go through it. I'm going to go right through it. That's what following Jesus looks like in your life, right? So that's what, he gives us a good example of that. And I've experienced that uh, uh, numerous times in my life, the same thing that Paul's experiencing, whereas my plans aren't always the same as my plans are almost never the same as the lord's all right and like that's what he's finding out well i think this is what the lord wants me to do no it's not what he wants me to do but the other thing he's realizing is that god's plans are always better because he's just trying to go back to the same areas he's already preached to and god's like guess what i'm gonna take you to a whole new continent 
that hasn't even heard the gospel. So you're going to get to preach to people for the first time. They're going to hear the good news about Jesus Christ. He was just content with the crew that he had with him, right? With Silas and Timothy. And he's like, guess what? I'm going to give you Luke, all right? Who's not only going to be a help to you, he's going to be your own personal doctor for this infirmity. And he's just going to happen to write the book of, or gospel of Luke in the book of Acts, which is going to bless people for all eternity. Amen? All right, so God always has bigger and better plans, right? When, that's why we want to follow him, all right? Now, this is, now I'm just going to spend the rest of the time kind of talking about the thing that I really wanted to hit because when we see somebody like Paul, I think we'd all agree, and we, this isn't just here in this chapter, but all through the New Testament where it talks about him, we see this guy that just seems super sensitive to the leading of the Lord, super obedient and surrendered to whatever God wants him to do. Not perfect. You know, he gets doors, he goes through, or he hits doors that are closed. In some of those instances, he kind of tries to push them open. But just overall, he has a desire to just be in line with God's will and be faithful to do whatever God is telling him to do. Would you guys agree with that? Is that something we want in our lives? We all want that, right? We all realize that we're imperfect in that, but that's what we're striving for. We want to be in line with God's will. Why? Because as I said last week, it's good, pleasing, and perfect. We've come to learn this in our lives. And so we want to follow Jesus the best that we can. And so when you see a guy that can do that, that's there for our learning. And we should be asking ourselves, what allowed him to do that? You know, where was his focus? And I think that's the key. And there's actually a great part in scripture that tells us kind of where his focus was in his life. Because it's talking about what he was thinking about at the end of his life. And how many of you guys have experienced when people are at the end of their life, they're pretty reflective on the things they did, the things they didn't do, the, the things that were important to them, the things that were their focus through their life. Would you agree with that? So let's see what the focus of his life was. Go ahead and turn to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you, if you don't want to turn there, it'll be up on the screen here. But here Paul is sitting in a Roman prison, knowing that the end of his life was very near, okay? So he's reflecting on it. And this is what he says in Second Timothy 4, verses 6 through 8. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. So at the end of his life, he's reflecting. And you can see here that he viewed his life on this earth as a race he was in. How many guys ran in a race before? Okay, quite a few. I've done, I, I was in running for a long time, so I did all types of races, anywhere from a 5K to like a marathon. And you, it, it's a great analogy that he uses here because you just understand that, well, there's a beginning, there's an end, there's all types of like intermediate stages in a run. Like when you're running long distance too, you have those runner highs where you just feel like you keep going, feels amazing. Next thing you know, you have a runner low where you just want to quit. And when you're watching those mile markers, like you have these like kind of like, oh, I'm nearing the end. I got to go hard, you know, like just it's a great analogy for life. But this is the way he looked at his life. It's like a race. All right. And his focus was on the finish 
and what was waiting for him there. In essence, he lived in the present, but he was living for the future. He was in the race. He's running the race. He's being faithful in his life with God. But his focus is on just get to the end. Get to the end. Because I know what's going to be at the end. I know that there is going to be a prize there waiting for me that God himself is going to give me. That is what I'm living with that focus in mind. Amen. And that focus is what allowed him to be in tune with the will of the Lord in his life and surrendered to it so that he could be faithful and presently living as God was leading him in his life, which is what God wants for all of us, knowing that that is where you're going to be most satisfied and he's going to be most glorified, just being faithful in the present. Amen? We look to the future. Sometimes we get stuck in the past where God says, just keep your focus on me as I lay this path before you. Just be faithful in the present. Look at me. Look at the end of the race. Know what's coming. And if you're trying to live to please people or do good things for the praise of people or to do things expecting some type of tangible result, inevitably, you're going to become discouraged. You're going to become dissatisfied because similar to Paul getting stoned by the people of Lystra in response to preaching the good news to them, not everybody is going to react the way that you hope in life. Amen? Or you're not always going to see the results that you're hoping for. And if my reason for serving others, again, this is in all areas of your life, whether this is your job whether this is in ministry, whether this is you as a spouse or your kids, if your reason for that is ultimately to get some sort of positive response from them in your efforts and you don't get that response, maybe even getting a bad one like Paul did with the people of Lystra at first, you most certainly are going to have difficulty in your willingness to continue to be who God wants you to be in their life. All right? Maybe even experiencing anger and resentment that leads to bitterness in an extreme case. All right? But as I shared at the beginning, that's not what God calls you to do, right? Because as a part of his kingdom, you, like Paul, are giving a promise and a focus. And it's on what is coming to you. Not what might be coming to you. I want to make that clear. This is, if you place your faith in Jesus Christ, this is what is coming to you. You can be 100% confident of it because God has said it and God never lies. All right. He's never lied to you in a day in his life. He's kept all his promises and he will continue. And these rewards, this this end result that we're waiting for is going to be greater than anything you could ever receive in this life. Any recognition, any visible result, it will be greater than anything you experience in this life. All right. Paul tells us in first Corinthians three, 13 through 15. But on the judgment day. Fire will reveal what kind of work each builder has done. The fire will show if a person's work has any value. If the work survives, that builder will receive a reward. But if the work is burned up, the builder will suffer great loss. The builder will be saved, but like someone barely escaping through a wall of flames. Now that builder he's talking about is us as believers in that passage, right? And what he's saying is that there's going to be a judgment for the believer at the end of our lives. Now, this is not a salvation judgment. Let me make that clear. 
As we talked about extensively in Acts 15, you are saved by God's grace through faith and faith alone. But at the end of your life, you're going to stand before Jesus. I'm going to stand before Jesus and he's going to inspect every single thing you did. And with the right things that are done with the right motives, they're going to result in rewards. And the things that are done with the wrong motives, just like that passage says, they're just going to, they're going to amount to nothing. All right? Paul goes on in 2 Corinthians 5, 9 through 10. He says, so whether we are here in this body or away from this body, our goal is to please him, please the Lord. For we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We each will receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil we have done in this earthly body. Now that should kind of like make us sit up in our seats, right? Like the, to know that we're going to stand before the Lord. He's going to inspect your life. I, when I tell my kids to do something and I say, I'm going to inspect it when you're done. Go pick up the dog poop in the yard like I talked about last week. I'm going to look when you're done. You better believe that they try a little harder because they realize that there is great potential for rewards if they do what I say and they do a good job and I'm happy with it. Amen. Well, it's in the same way. We know we're going to be inspected what we do. So we should take that seriously because these rewards, these things that we get for doing things with the right motives out of love for others with God's glory in mind. Heard this great message yesterday at the men's conference. Three untouchable things as a believer, all right? The three G's. This is directed towards men because it was a men's conference. But basically, you don't touch God's glory. You don't touch God's gold. And you don't touch God's girls. All right? All right? Good thing to remember for men. Okay? But anyways, all that to say is we don't touch God's glory. We do things for God in in his glory alone. We don't take credit for ourselves. And we do things out of love for others. That's how they know we're a disciple. So we're doing things with those right motives. Those deeds will result in rewards for you in eternity. And some details are given about these rewards. Not everything, but some. And There's enough to know that if God wants to give you a reward, you better believe that you're going to want that for all eternity, okay? One of those is that you're going to be given responsibility in God's kingdom, all right? After the tribulation period, if you kind of tracked with us when we went through the book of Revelation, God, Jesus is going to come back and rule on this earth for a thousand years, what's called the millennial reign of Christ. And the Bible tells us that we will reign with him on this earth, okay? Now, we don't know exactly what that's going to look like. I can tell you right now that it's going to be a whole lot of heck better than it is here right now. I mean, just think of this. We should actually really get this picture with the last two years of what we've seen. Imagine that every instance of sin or evil is immediately and justly dealt with on the spot. Imagine what kind of world that would be like, right? We've seen the results of lawlessness over the last two years and what that equals. But imagine when Jesus is here perfectly reigning and ruling with the help of us, his followers, and everything is justly, perfectly handled immediately. Any sin, can you imagine what kind of world that's going to be like? And you're going to be a part of that. You're going to be a part of that. It says in Revelation 5, 9 through 10, the 24 elders is there praising God or praising the Lamb of God, Jesus, as he's found worthy to open the scroll that kind of shows what's going to happen in the end. God is God's culminating history. And it says there 
And they sang a new song with these words. You are worthy to take the scroll and break its seal and open it. For you were slaughtered and your blood has ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have caused them to become a kingdom of priests for our God. And they will reign on the earth. Revelation 26 says, blessed and holy are those who share in the first resurrection. That's us. For them, the second death holds no power. That's a great white throne judgment. One that's not for us because it's for people that aren't saved through grace. That basically have to come before God and prove to them how they did only perfect things in their life. Not going to be successful. We don't want to be there. We don't want anyone to be there. But for the, them, the second death holds no power. Um, priests of God, in up, but they will be priests of God and of Christ and will reign with him a thousand years. So here's the thing. If you ever thought you deserve some sort of recognition or admiration or affirmation or some sort of award or responsibility, here's the thing. It is going to pale in comparison to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords saying, you did a good job. I'm giving you charge of this for me in my kingdom. That is going to trump, no pun intended, any responsibility or any recognition that you didn't get in this world can i get an amen to that all right and i'm putting my like what's the list called in the coast guard when you guys want to go somewhere i'm putting my dream sheet in right now i'll tell you that in my prayers okay because i'm really hoping for somewhere warm and tropical but that's just me all right but doesn't hurt to pray maybe god will hear that all right now Another type of reward we'll receive are what is referred to as crowns. In 2 Timothy 4.8, Paul refers to it as a crown of righteousness. That passage I read earlier. James 1.12 says, God blesses those who patiently endure testing and temptation. Afterward, they will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Now, the Greek words used for crowns in the New Testament either mean one of two things. Either they're the crowns used for like royalty or crowns that are more frequently used for people that were in athletic events and they'd win and then they'd receive this like crown, like a wreath of like leaves or something like that. It's more frequently used that. So either a crown of royalty or a crown of victory. And so again, if you've ever thought that you deserve some sort of recognition or reward, I guarantee it's going to pale in comparison to getting the end of your life and God saying, here's your crowns. Now, again, I don't know exactly what this is going to look like. I don't know. Some of us might be having these big, giant royal crowns. Like you see the like the queen wear in England, you know, if you've ever seen the crown jewels. Some of us might have these little tiaras. I don't know. One thing I do know is that we won't have our fallen flesh in heaven. So it's not like I'm going to be looking and measuring myself up to will or to that huge crown on that faithful woman that's just been praying for her kids her whole entire life. That's not going to be it. We're, we're not going to have our flesh to cause us to stumble and be prideful. We're just going to look at each other and we're going to be so stoked. Like, man, look at how God rewarded you for all of the good stuff you did. And here's the crazy thing. You didn't even do it. It was all by God's grace. And yet he gave you that crown. And we're going to be like the elders where we're just like throwing them at God's feet. Because what it's going to do is incre- it's going to create this eternal heart of thanks and praise. Because we're constantly going to be seeing each other and being re- reminded of God's goodness in our life. Amen? And yet the greatest reward you're going to get 
is the Lord himself, right? Like he told Abraham, I'm your great reward. He's going to be your great reward. It says in Revelation 21, 1 through 4, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the old heaven and the old earth had disappeared, and the sea was also gone. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, Look, God's home is now among his people. He will live with them, and they will be his people God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. You get God to yourself. Every single one of us has placed our faith in him. And the crazy thing is he actually wants to be with you. You know how you can know that? Because the Bible says he looks at you as his reward. It says in, it says in Ephesians 1.18... I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope we have been. He has given to those he called his holy people who are his rich and glorious inheritance. You may not think of yourself as something very special, but when God calls you his glorious inheritance, you better listen up. You are very special. You know why? Think of it from this standpoint. Anything that we invest a lot in, we care about a great deal, right? Would you guys agree with that? That's what drives our investing in it, just like our family. You invest in it because you care about it a great deal. Well, here's the thing. God cared about you so much, he put the ultimate investment in you because he sent his son to die so that you could be forgiven of your sin and know him. That's the ultimate investment. And here's the thing. He didn't stop there. He spends his whole entire life patiently and loving working in you and through you to make you the perfect person he intends you to be will you where you will be most blessed he invests every single second into you of your life and that's why you're his treasure you're his glorious inheritance that he is waiting for you to to be in that consummation of that that relationship when jesus comes back And that's when these rewards are coming. That's the reason, one of the reasons, but one of the very great reasons we look forward to Jesus' return. Because it says in Revelation 22, 12, Look, I am coming soon, bringing my reward with me to repay all people according to their deeds. And when this is our focus, like Paul, when we are living in the present, but living for the future, this is what will keep you going when things get hard. This is what will keep you constantly looking for the Lord to direct you and lead you and being surrendered to that leading, even if it doesn't match up with what you would prefer, just trusting it's going to be good. This is what's going to keep you from becoming discouraged and dissatisfied, whether that's in your marriage or in your job or in your family or in ministry. This focus, no matter what results you see, no matter how people respond, this is what is going to drive you to the end like Paul. Amen. And so my exhortation to you as the worship team comes up here, same thing Paul said. I'm just spitting his words out in 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 26. Don't you realize that in a race, everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize So run to win. 
All athletes are disciplined in their training. They do it to win a prize that will fade away. But we do it for an eternal prize. So I run with purpose in every step. You know there's a prize coming. You know it's going to be beyond anything you can fully comprehend. So run to win it. That's our focus, right? That's our focus. And I guarantee, I guarantee, when you get to the end of your life, whether Jesus comes back to get you or you go to be with him, and you hear him say to you, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When you hear, well done, Lana. Well done, Greg. One day, well done, Solomon. When you hear that, anything you didn't hear from your spouse or from your boss, you're not going to think about that at all. It's going to be unlike anything you've ever heard in your life. The greatest thing anyone could ever say to you. Amen? I needed that reminder this week. It's not stuff that I don't know, but I need to remind myself constantly, we all do, of where our real race is, what the real prizes we're striving for, what the real focus is, because it's so easy to lose sight of that. And it's more important than anything else to just, Jesus is a prize, right? That's our focus. That's who we're running to. And we know what's coming when we get there. Amen? So Christian, let's just make sure that that's our focus leaving here today. And if you're somebody here that doesn't know Jesus is your Lord and Savior, my guess is you're like me before I came to know him. And that is you really don't have a focus. You think you do. I thought I did. I thought I had a direction to run in many different times, but every single one of them, just I got there and it's like, hmm, I don't think that was it. I need something else. Or it didn't satisfy me the way I thought. It wasn't what I thought. It just disappointed me. And I really was directionless. And that's because you were made to go in one direction. I'm not talking about the band. You were made to go to Jesus. And that's been made possible through his death on that cross. Because it's your sin that separates you from him. And he died a sinner's death, not for any sin he did, but for every sin every single one of us did in this life. Any sin we've ever done, any sin we could ever do. So that through faith in his sacrifice, we could be forgiven of those sins and made right with God. And run to him. Right on into eternity. Amen. So If that's you, don't leave here directionless. We're going to have our prayer team up around the room. Come up and get prayer and we will lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. You don't necessarily need us to do that, but sometimes it is something that is helpful to have somebody pray with you. But you just need to call it God. You need to acknowledge that I'm not perfect. I am messed up. I am directionless. I am guilty of sin. I need to be forgiven of it. I believe that you died so that I could be. I need you to come in and direct my life to be Lord of it. And God will answer that request. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much for giving us purpose, for giving us a focus, giving us a direction in life, Lord. Thank you for the promised rewards 
that are coming. Again, not really for anything we're even doing. It's all by your grace. You lead us and then you enable us and then you reward us. It's all you. And we are blown away by that, Lord. That's why we're here to praise you. We just can't even fathom how great your goodness is in our lives. But from what we do understand, we are blown away. And we just want to be with our minds in the right place. Just like Paul. Running the race. Being faithful. Right where you have us. Focused on you. Focused on what's coming. On the finish line. And not distracted by anything going around us. We know that just trips us up, Lord. So may you just even now captivate our attention as we sing this last song to praise you. So we can leave here again, not just believing these things in our heart, but living them in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.